as we record this, we are in a week of special dates, palindrome dates. That's right. In fact, we're recording this on 2-22-22. Some people call it Tuesday. Tuesday. Other than this being Tuesday, you know what else is significant about the date itself? It is a ambiogram. That means you can read it upside down on a calculator. But I guess really the important time would be you'd have to go military time. So 10.22 p.m. on Tuesday, right? And it would be 22.22 on 2.22.22. Say that three times fast. (laughs) Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode 301 of the Touchpoint podcast. I bet you you're wondering after listening to that cold open, Hey, I've heard that before. Yes, you certainly have. This episode, Reed and I are taking a week off to design some great programming for the future. But until then, we wanted to rerun one of our most popular episodes, episode number 264, Designing a Voice of Customer Program. As we know it, healthcare organizations are transforming their patient experience measurements away from simple surveys to developing these voice of customer programs. And in this episode, Reed and I get into some of the pitfalls around survey-based approaches and how to embrace predictive customer insights. And we have a great guest interview, Amy Brown, who's CEO of Authentics. She joins us and shares how developing a true voice of customer program. It was imperative to her uh, through the course of some conversations she's had with other organizations, and she has some great tips. So while you're listening to this, make sure you jump over to touchpoint.health to learn more all about this podcast, as well as other podcasts on the Touchpoint Media Network. And while you're there, be sure to click on the link in the upper left-hand corner and subscribe to our TPS report. It's a weekly podcast where we're going to send you five stories of the week in which we share some of the top articles that are happening in the industry today. So a great way to start off your week. Subscribe to that TPS report. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, Reed and I are going to get into how to design a voice of customer program. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
I really love today's topic, Reed, because it, it's a focus that straddles both of my two different roles that I have at, at my current organization. Not only am I the VP of digital strategy, but I'm the VP of marketing intelligence. And when you think about marketing intelligence, you think about a lot of research and understanding customers and doing brand tracking and doing a variety of other things. If you combine both digital and marketing research together, it really is a step in the right direction towards this concept of a voice of customer program. And we've heard voice of a customer, or V little O C, right, as an acronym for some time. And what is that typically associated with, like surveys and things like that, like feedback mechanisms usually? Yeah. And in our space, we think about HCAPs or NRC or those kinds of surveys. A lot of times that's where you hear voice of customer. Uh, It's voice of customer is directly related to patient experience as well or customer experience, CX. So there's a lot of like kind of overlaps here. In fact, this concept of voice of customer is gaining a lot of steam. And so today we want to dig into some thoughts around how voice of customer is advancing and how we sitting in healthcare can start to advance our own voice of customer programs in a more efficient way. Well, we're going to do that by digging into an article from McKinsey. And it's actually actually a pretty in-depth article. And we would encourage you to go to this URL. We'll have it in the show notes. It's a great article, but the way the way that the design is and how the, the screen moves, you got to go check it out. So, yeah. but anyway, it's it's actually titled "Prediction: The Future of CX." And so this is from uh, literally, I mean, almost exactly a year ago. They start off by indicating that different companies have been investing in tools and technologies to help them better understand their customers more deeply. The whole goal here is to gain advantages of superior customer experience, but they quickly underscore as leaders strive to form that more complete picture of a customer by their preferences and their behaviors, they're relying on some tactics and techniques that are a little bit maybe aging, so to speak, and maybe not providing the complete picture. Those things are surveys, right? Survey-based measurement systems are traditionally the way customer experience was measured. They call in here just what you said, you know, that, that you know, this survey-based methodology, if you will, fails, you know, the need that most of these companies are having. And so a couple of stats kind of as we get started here, they talk about the fact that 93% reported using a survey-based metric. So searches like a, a customer satisfaction survey or scoring specifically or, or customer effort score is their primary means of measuring satisfaction or performance or whatever it is. So, you know, you're doing a survey, you're getting a score, and that score is ultimately defining success. 93%. That's we, we can almost round that up to 100, right? Yeah. So pretty much everybody's doing that, right? But yet only 15% of those leaders say that they're actually satisfied or fully satisfied with how they were measuring. So it's like, it's kind of like, well, we're all doing it, but it's just, we're all doing it because that's just what we've always done or that's all that's been available or that's all we've been able to kind of think about, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're not necessarily happy. Yeah, and they go on to say that of those, and this is a survey that they did, McKenzie did. The respondents even said that only 6% of those respondents expressed confidence that the way they're measuring customer experience or customer experience performance allows them to have both strategic and tactical decision-making uh, insights, which is fascinating to think about. They kind of call out that part of that is low response rates, data lags, 
ambiguity about performance drivers and a lack of clear link to financial value, these are some of the things that are their the shortcomings of the way they're currently measuring customer experience. Now let's think about that, Reed, as we think about how we measure customer experience in healthcare, in hospitals and health systems. I feel that's the same way. We're kind of in the same boat. Don't you agree? Yeah, I would say there's there's two things. And we have an old episode kind of on, on this where it gets a little more into the weeds of these two particular things, I guess. But there is like the H caps. And then there's like just online reviews. Those two mechanisms, one is a likelihood metric. And one of them is kind of a holistic experience, feedback on somebody's experience. But those are really the two ways predominantly that we have to really understand the consumer experience. Well, and part of that is the survey-based system. Now, we're not going to throw out survey-based approaches. They have a role, but they are four major flaws that limit the insights that you can get from surveys. So the first one is around that limitation. A typical customer experience survey, typically, and this is not just healthcare, but typically across the industry, only samples about 7% of your customers. And that's an extremely limited view of what customers in general are experiencing and valuing. Remember from earlier in that survey that they did, only 13% of those customer experience leaders expressed full confidence that this small sampling size provides a representative view of their entire customer base. That makes sense. I mean, you can't survey everyone. No, and even if you did survey everyone, not everybody's going to respond or participate or, or what have you. You're never going to get you know 100%. I mean, that's just not a thing. The next one on the list, everything's in the rearview mirror, right? It's, it's uh, reactive. And that's always some of the concern with the with like H caps. It's like sometimes it's like from months ago. Like it's not timely in a lot of cases. Uh, so they call in here, you know, that they call out here that very fact, you know, that they're backwards looking tools. Nearly two thirds of respondents ranked the ability to act on six issues in in near real time is among their top three priorities. But only thirteen percent of those leaders expressed um, that their organization could actually do that. Everybody wants the feedback in real time, but you know, uh, in, in most cases, you're just not getting it. And even trying to get those insights can be a little bit difficult, which leads to the third critical flaw, they say, with, um, with these surveys, is the ambiguity of some of these surveys. And I've been through a lot of survey design recently, Reed. You know, we're looking mm-hmm. to refield a brand tracking study. And it's very difficult to be able to design your survey in such a way where you can get very crystal clear ideas. Surveys often fail to reveal the root cause of the customer's sentiment. And scores can vary based on many outside factors. And we've talked about, you know, there's bias in some of our data in our polling, right? That's part of it. But there could also be real-time shocks to the industry that are happening at that particular point in time. Looking back at how brand tracking has occurred throughout the COVID pandemic, and it's changed tremendously based on what things were happening at that particular point in time. And that was hard to make that if you're only measuring certain attributes. So again, from their survey, only 16% of CX leaders said that surveys provide them with the granular enough data to address the root causes of CX performance. I do think, you know, you struggle a little bit with just surveying in general, right? So you you talk about the fact that in this case, 
it's not granular enough. I just don't know. I'm just curious on the likelihood anybody's going to give you enough feedback ever. Right. Maybe that's just my own jaded view of just surveys or feedback. You know, it's like I buy something off Nike and then they send me emails for weeks on end about like, you know, how'd you like those shorts? You know, and it's like, well, I'm buying them for my son. You know, like, I, <laughs> yeah, fine, I guess, you know. Like, what do you want to know? You know, <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, and so maybe we're just asking the wrong questions, right? Which kind of leads into this last one, which is the fourth piece here is unfocused, right? So the association, they say, between survey-based scores and business outcomes is not well understood. And as a result, many parts of the organization uh, simply claim a business impact from their, you know, CX initiatives with no real evidence, And of the leaders that were surveyed, only 4% said that their system let them calculate the ROI of these decisions. So again, I just wonder if we're asking the wrong thing. Yeah, that's become a really big focus of mine as I start to look at these surveys, right? And we're thinking about fielding a number of market research studies. And as we do that, we have to become crystal clear about what we're trying to measure. And I've noticed that there's this tendency to People want to just kind of put everything into one survey because they, they want to try to capture all of the, the data that they can. And if you do that, your survey becomes, you know, all of these things above, right? Ambiguous and unfocused. If you look at the, you know, the, the questions that are in the HCAP scores, you're looking at it in a reactive way. All of these things here are kind of leading, pointing to the fact that surveys as a customer experience tool are very, very limited. As an organization, you have to become more focused on developing a voice of customer program that's predictive. And so what we'll do is we'll talk about this, Reed, after the break, we'll come back and we'll talk about how predictive customer insight is a new approach that many organizations are using. And we'll share some of the ways that industries are starting to adapt this. We'll do this right after this brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so before the the break, we talked a lot about, you know, we talked about the, as McKinsey calls out, kind of the four, I guess, category-wise, the four shortcomings of of the survey of, of how we've historically measured the CX world. So now let's spend a minute if we can, we'll, we'll kind of continue through their article here, which again, we'll link in the show notes and, and would recommend you go checking out. And uh, it's a lot of great, great stuff in here. Predictive customer consumer insights. So, you know, we talked about one of the shortcomings being that it was retroactive. You know, we're always looking in the rear view mirror. That's what, you know, surveys by nature, that's how that works. So now, you know, maybe let's pivot a little bit and look at, you know, what uh, what we could do and what companies are doing around you know, being more predictive. These are things that McKenzie noticed across industries, all industries that they're moving towards. So not just healthcare. It's interesting because there are a lot of parallels to what's happening in healthcare. 
The first is developing a customer level data lake. We've heard that term before, right? Oh, a data boy. warehouse, a data lake. <clears throat> love love that. the data lake. Yeah. Love the data lake. This is where you gather all of that customer data and the financial data and operational data. And this is more than your CRM, your marketing CRM. I guess it's a true CRM if you do it enterprise-wise. If it's just a marketing CRM, you only got a small piece of that because you want to aggregate data across all your customers at all the various touch points that they uh, have interacted with in your organization. Mm -hmm. This is comprehensive and connected. If you could do this, if you could build data in such a way where you could have that insight, where you could pivot and say, for this particular individual, let's look at all the data around them so that we could start to understand their experience with us. That will allow organizations to map and track customer behavior across all of those interactions, transactions, and operations. This is getting past surveying being just a subset of customers. Now what we have is data that you don't have to ask someone to give you their insights. You're actually collecting it. Kind of cool, huh? Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. Uh, you know, the next, it kind of bleeds into this next piece because I guess that would then allow you to do kind of this next step, right? Which is predictive customer scores. That's kind of fascinating, right? So it's talking about in here that, about developing analytics. So often using, they say, machine learning algorithms to understand and track what is influencing satisfaction and business performance and, and looking for those kind of milestones and those events in the customer journey. So these algorithms, they say, generate predictive scores for each customer based on the journey features and allow the company to predict an individual customer satisfaction. Wow. I'm sorry, you were satisfied. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if think about that. You know, having the level of data at hand where you could say a person showed up at your clinic, maybe a primary care clinic that had this particular comorbidity or, you know, complex thing, and then they were referred in, et cetera, and being able to track that all the way through. No wonder you need machine learning for this, Reed, because that's a lot of data to crunch. And the more importantly, right, is you use this data to be predictive. So you could use it to say, well, if someone comes into this same situation, they might follow the same journey. That's interesting. Yes. I may say it would be a lake of data (laughs) that you're looking at. The third component of all of this though, of this predictive customer insight, as I talked about is developing an action and insight engine. So this would be like the, uh, not just going swimming in the data lake. Now you got a boat that can take you to the place where you need to go. But this is where you take information, insights, and suggestions, and you start to share that with a broad set of employees, including not only people at the front line, like, you know, the people that are responsible for patient experience in the different hospitals that we work with. You also want to share that with people like marketers for example. So we can use that data to kind of get insights into how the customer is actually reacting and where we should be promoting and where we shouldn't be promoting. You could give that insights into your hospital leadership, for example. All of those different types of use cases have to be mapped to what that particular employee wants. And then you add in tools like CRM platforms, et cetera, through like an API layer. And then suddenly you got this robust approach tapping into the single source of truth and even pulling in stuff like recommendation engines based, you know, based on data lake and customer scores, that develops that predictive platform that we're all looking for. And of course, surveys are one data element into all of this, right? So this is, surveys are still here. They're just a part of something much broader now. 
So what do we do with all that? Those are a lot of a lot of data points. You know, we talked about that uh, insights, predictive scoring, all this kind of stuff. You know, how do you actually take all of that and turn it into action? Um, is really kind of where they wrap this article up. So maybe we can spend a few minutes there. Yeah, this is where it gets really important, right? This is where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Based on the research that McKenzie did on those organizations that have successfully implemented these predictive, robust customer experience solutions and really identified voice of customer, they identified four key steps to jumpstart any kind of transformation that an organization will go towards that. I think this really matters, right? So the first jumpstart uh, step would be to work on changing mindsets. You can't do it all at once. So this transition will be a mindset shift for both the teams and the CX executives that are going to be working on this. A lot of times, customer experience leaders, they feel that they only have a certain segment of stuff that they have to worry about, that they have to measure. Maybe they're reporting on key operational scores um, or whatever it may be. They may think, you know, that's this is outside of my purvey, whereas IT folks may have a lot of data that they use for other reasons. It's really bringing those people together. And the role of the CX leader is to now realize that this data lake, if you create it the right way, can can help many different departments to get those insights that they need. So they say here, when they asked about the biggest challenge with the current system, one chief experience officer responded by saying, people associate customer experience with marketing and not technology. But that's changing as now it's becoming an operational imperative to build a customer experience data lake. So that's the first step is like you have to start to change your mind around what you can use this data for, because there's so many different applications. Yeah, the, the next one is pretty quickly on the heels of that, right? And it's something we've talked about just from an optics standpoint as we think about marketing you know, or digital. You know, it's hard to tell where it starts and stops. And the second thing that they call out here is to break down silos and start building cross-functional teams. And so they say that data owners – You'll start seeing some analogies here. Data owners uh, will inevitably span operations, marketing, finance, tech functions. Uh, so the convening across senior leadership will be vital to ensure data access and management. Much like you know, just the broader digital space, it's hard to determine where this stuff starts and stops. There's multiple owners. It touches all areas of the organization. And that this, they call out, call out here that the, the CX team should define direction and strategy, but ensuring buy-in and excitement among the affected stakeholders be key to scaling the impact. And so it's it's change management. It's a change management function. Uh, it's not anything different functionally than like putting together an innovation committee, right? Or something exactly like that. Right. You know, yeah. you've got to kind of, you've got to bring in all the stakeholders. Everybody's got to have a, a, a role, responsibility. They've got to have some stake in the game, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that, that's so interesting that you point out is change management, because the third element here is start with a core journey data set and build to improve accuracy, right? Start small and test it out and build it, right? Start with basic customer level data, even if that data is not perfect, and really collect the individual level operational and financial data and start to combine that together. I think many organizations in healthcare have started that by creating marketing CRMs. It's kind of the one of the ways. And then, of course, there's another data lake that's out there that's being created by operations. How do you start to tie those two together? It becomes a really important thing here. And as you go down this path, right, if you start small, 
try to solve a simple task. Well, maybe not a simple task, but a focused task. Combining customer profiles with digital and analog interactions, this allows you to create sort of a more of a detailed journey taxonomy, including all the potential drivers of satisfaction across that journey. I think about in my world, one of the things that we're doing is we're really focusing heavy on one particular thing that we're trying to do really well, which is build a digital front door for our primary care that's based on access and convenience and quick ability to, to schedule appointments. And what, so what we're doing is we're building behind all these tools and technologies, a data repository to help us understand how that will work and how that impacts overall that customer experience. We start small. And then our goal is, if this works really well, then we're going to take our learnings and expand them across all the enterprise. So you can see, you know, a lot of the things that they're pointing out here is, you know, really don't have anything to do with the CX world or satisfaction or patience or anything. You know, it's, it's, you know, how do you do this within a large, complex organization? And, you know, the thing that they kind of finish with, which I think is important, is sometimes it's easy to get lost in like this bigger picture. But they talk about the fact that you need to focus first on use cases that can drive quick wins, you know, and value. You know, as a simple framework, organizations, they say, can can review major uh, sources of opportunity. Pain points uh, are both uh, across existing uh, journeys. And think how a predictive system might create new solutions or enhance ones that we already, you know, maybe have that impact stuff like loyalty cost, cross-selling, you know, upselling behaviors, uh, things like that. So don't get lost necessarily or paralyzed, you know, kind of in the analysis phase, you know, look for where, you know, you can drive some real value uh, through some quick wins uh, early on. And you'd be surprised, Reed, at how many different tools that are out there within your organization that you can start to build a program around this. They call out here, right? It's like, not only is it your operational data and your CRM, marketing CRM data, it could be, you know, social media reviews and, and, and responses. It could be apps, how people use your apps or emails or even calls to your call center, which kind of leads nicely to the interview that we're going to share next after this break. I recently sat down with Amy Brown, who's the CEO of Authentics. And uh, Authentics, and she'll describe in this interview, they are a, a company that first started on developing a, a kind of a robust access center solution that can be utilized or can be layered on top of your current telephony system to extract data through machine learning and, and AI and, and all of those things we talked about before to start to drive some analysis around where there may be some impacts from when people call that are, could be impacting their patient experience. And it was it's just it was an interesting interview. We went into a lot of different ways that um, she is now using this tool with different organizations in healthcare to help them dramatically up their voice of customer approaches to measurement. And we even tapped into voice of employee as being part of this as well. So after this break, we'll play the interview and then read, and I will be back to close out the show. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am delighted to have a new guest to the show, uh, someone that I just recently met. But I have a feeling that, Amy, you and I are going to be talking a lot about a variety of different topics, not only today, but potentially in the future. And that's Amy Brown. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, we're excited to have you here, and I'm really excited about today's conversation. But before we jump in, Amy, I always like to allow our guests to talk a little bit about themselves, share a little bit about their background and the company that you lead. Sure. So I am a veteran healthcare leader, have had many experiences in a variety of healthcare uh, industries and fields, but the, the majority of my experience has been in the healthcare payer space. Um, I started my career getting my master's in social work, did a couple tours of duty uh, working for state government and Medicaid, and then went into the private sector in health plans and ran you know, Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial operations, and then also spent some time working uh, in the pharma space. And so all of those experiences culminated in a lot of in-the-trenches work uh, with customers. Uh, I led teams that were interfacing with members, patients, providers all day, every day. And I really started to combine my operational experience from the roles I was in with my passion for social work and listening and understanding human beings. And it was really the combination of those things that led to the idea that became Authentics. And Authentics is a B2B SaaS company that focuses only in healthcare. And what we do is help healthcare organizations listen at scale using both AI as well as human analysis to really derive true meaning that can help leaders make well-informed decisions that will actually change uh, for the better the patient experience. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, you know, the whole concept of listening, you know, we talk about that a lot in, in our industry, that it's really important to listen to our patients, our customers, we're evolving that, you know, that concept of now patients are becoming more customer oriented. In healthcare, it becomes ever critical, the whole concept of understanding the context around those conversations. And that that's seen in a lot of different ways, right? Like access centers and online chats and all of these tools are starting to develop to allow us to do that better. Absolutely. And you said the key word, which is context. One of the things that as a healthcare leader who used to purchase software and, and, and solutions that would help me understand data at scale, one of the things that I was underwhelmed by is just how lacking in context the the insights we got from the technology was just, you know, keywords or a particular score or a survey result was just not enough for me as a healthcare leader to understand the why behind either a sentiment score or a, um, a satisfaction 
metric or, or whatever. And so I found myself just really wanting to understand the root cause of our customers' experiences. And that's why it's so exciting to be in the space we are today, because I think companies both buy on the buying side and also on the solution side are realizing that, you know, in order to make the most informed decisions, context is key. You got to have much more context in order to be truly an understanding leader and under a leader that has a comprehensive and inclusive understanding. And over the last, you know, I, it's been longer than a few years, but within the health setting, within our industry, over the last couple of years, we've been talking a lot about tools to kind of help us kind of assess that context, right? Artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing, et cetera, right? We're, we're hearing more and more about that as these technology solutions come into play. Really, what what we're what we're getting at is something that's a little bit bigger than just the actual technology, right? It's it's this term that uh, I'd like to talk to you about, and that is conversational intelligence. From my perspective, conversational intelligence is all about the ability to derive meaning at scale. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means being able to leverage your conversational data in a way that allows you to listen broadly and deeply. So broadly meaning inclusive of the totality of an organization's conversations that are happening many times, you know, in the tens of thousands every week. And to be able to, to understand with enough level of depth that you can actually do something with it. Mm. And so conversational intelligence is really just about utilizing conversational data to generate lead understanding in a way that, you know, is actionable. Again, there's all of these tools now and and different ways that that we've been approaching trying to get at conversational intelligence a, a, a across the organization, but many of those have been siloed. You mentioned before, like, you know, CAP scores is an example of one where you can get some data point that talks about, you know, people's experience with your organization. Uh, you have call centers or access centers that have telephony systems where you can kind of measure in. Tell us a little bit about that concept of scaling, because I think that's the important important thing here, because part of scaling is to break down those silos, right? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest opportunities is that when we think about conversational intelligence or speech or text analytics, you know, what we're talking about is taking unstructured data in whatever form, if that's text form, voice form, and again, deriving meaning from it. The, the missed opportunity is that we tend to think of that as residing, as you said, in silos. So, you know, if it's survey data, that's handled by the customer experience folks. And if it's call center data, the purpose of call center data must be to help the call center improve. What we're trying to help healthcare leaders see is that this unstructured conversational data has something of value for every role within the organization. It is so contextually rich. It is so full of insights that are relevant to the care model folks, the strategists, the compliance leaders, the executive team, the sales team, the marketing team. And so we might be talking about an access center, for example, within a health system, or maybe your billing center within a health system. 
But in those conversations that are going into your billing uh, call line every day, there are insights that are sizable and rich that a marketing leader or that a care plan leader or the provider leader is going to get immense value from. And the reason you're going to get it is because people are using those channels to talk freely about what's top of mind, not because they've been asked, but because they have made a decision to contact you because of a problem usually, or because they have something to say. And and we simply need to surface it and surface it in a way that is organized, that leaders can efficiently make sense of it. I totally get that, Amy, that there's a great concept, but it seems like, you know, until the adoption of some of these newer technologies, that that was a, a great leap to make, right? Because it's so difficult when you think about it. In my experience, I have seen, you know, customer reviews uh, through like social channels. I have heard people calling into our call center expressing concerns, etc. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're measuring towards solving that particular problem, that specific thing that they're calling about. But what you're talking about is like bringing this up to a much broader level. That must be really challenging to to accomplish. How do you work with organizations in, in doing that? The first thing that we have focused on in an organization is understanding the data set itself. So when we have taken in, you know, hundreds of thousands and now millions of customer conversations, because we're focused in healthcare, you know, we have created just a really rich training data set that is tagged and labeled by nurses, social workers, human beings that actually understand the intent in the conversation. And that's what's created models that are actually usable and useful for scalably listening. So that's kind of the technology side of it. The way we help leaders understand how to listen at scale is we typically you know, say, hey, let's, let's just listen to a sample of your interactions. And it's really a, what what I found this beautiful mix of macro and micro and big data and small data. Um, it's kind of like a both and concept with this technology. And so what we found is to be most powerful is that when we use AI to say to a leader, hey, it looks like in the last month, 20% of your inbound calls were people complaining about your billing process. And not only were they complaining about your billing process, they specifically find this particular aspect of your billing statements very confusing because when they call in, that's what they talk about the most. But now, leader or boardroom member, let us play for you a montage of these customer voices so that you can hear the sound of your own members, patients, what they are saying last mm-hmm. week, you know? Mm-hmm. And once we play for them a compilation, which is a part of our product, is is you know, this concept of AI should never replace listening. And so we have a, a an ability to actually allow leaders to listen to compilations of customers who are talking about the thing 
just naturally organically through their contact center that the leaders most need to hear. And so once they hear it, what we have found is healthcare leaders can't unhear it at that point. And they, they've got the data point, they've got the emotional uh, connection to it, and now they are armed for action. Right. They certainly are motivated. I mean, hearing that voice of your customer is so important. And it's great that you're actually playing them the voice of the customer. Many of us, when we like try to assess things, we're looking at, like I said, pinpoint solutions. How many people are complaining about their bills, for example, or how many people are dissatisfied with a particular experience or what have you, right? Or how many times in, in our case, you know, they're calling to schedule or reschedule or re-re-reschedule an appointment, right? right. And, and these things get into this concept called the eddy effect. Let's talk a little bit about this eddy effect, what that is. So let me first start with a question. Question: Have you um, are you familiar with a river eddy, Chris? Well, yeah. So river eddies, right? It's like it's part where the where the flow of the river shifts a little bit, floats in a different direction than downstream. Is that right? That's exactly right. So on a ri- you know on a river, the the fastest part of the current is going down the middle. Often, what happens is on the sides of the river, you will notice, you know, logs or debris or big boulders on the side. And if you, and if you look as you're going by or standing on the riverbank, you'll see that on the other side of the boulder or the the obstacle in the river, there's a countercurrent cycling back, and it and it has a whirlpool effect. You know, when we launched Authentics and started taking in enough data we started to think about the customer journey similar to a river current, right? And and when customers have any kind of interface with any kind of company, they're having a touch point. And most companies these days have beautiful journey maps, right? That look very sequential, just like a, uh, a current flows in a river, What we were noticing as we were studying the data is that there were so many people that were stuck and cycling back to the company because whatever they thought was should have happened in their customer experience or their customer journey was not, in fact, occurring. And so their expected experience was disrupted. And so they were having to put forth effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, calling back. I am certain, Chris, you've had experiences like oh, yeah. this. No, I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I certainly am hearkening back to some of these things, right? In my mind, they're, they're vivid. And those things have profound impact on my perception of that organization, whatever it may be. It stays with me even to this day. It, it, it's like this underlying, just overall negative perception of that organization, regardless if they solve the problem or not. Yes, because you likely had to set aside time and it was likely, you know, created an emotional response because, you know, we're frustrated because the thing that we either expected or had paid for wasn't, you know, coming to fruition the way we thought. It is a impactful experience to be stuck in an eddy. And the fact of the matter is, based on our research, it happens in epidemic proportions in healthcare conversations, we're finding that 25% of all customer interactions on average in any healthcare company are people who are stuck in an eddy. Oh, wow. Not only have we been able to quantify the the average volume, we're able to assign 
dollars, what the cost of that time is to the organization. We're also able to uh, attach sentiment score to eddy uh, related calls. So the eddy effect is the authentics term for one of the most significant drivers in customer pain. 25%, a quarter of our interactions. I'm not surprised, I have to say, right? Even having worked within health systems for many years, I could sense that. I hear it. I see what people say about us online and I see what the reviews are, you know, and these are like after effects, right? Um, the eddy effect, being able to capture that and understand that and being able to diagnose it, that's so critical to do. But, you know, as we describe this, I think that uh, a lot of people that are sitting in leadership, right? now are saying, yeah, this is a problem. This is something that we need to to address. And they may be a little bit stuck about like, well, how do they start start to look at this? How do they start to diagnose this? How do they start to understand, you know, the just the gravity of the situation? I would say start small um, in a very specific area of your business. Pick a particular interaction point um, in your customer journey and study it. Just study it. Have your operations leaders who are facilitating, you know, the the day in day out operations of that. Have those folks, even if you don't have a, a technology solution, have the folks that actually talk to customers all day every day. Just just tell you a little bit about, you know, where do customers feel stuck? Because the reality is, those call center agents or those, you know, customer service representatives, their job is to solve that individual person's problem as quickly as possible and then move on to the next person, right? That is their, that is the, the immense value they give. But what our job as leaders is to try to solve those problems from hitting their shoulders to begin with, right? And so in order to do that, you, you got to start to capture the size of a problem. And so just starting small in a particular area, listening and understanding what what are those things that are causing the most hangups for customers that are causing them to put forth effort and therefore causing your people to put forth effort dealing with them, um, start to get to know it, try it on, listen to a couple of calls where they're talking about it. I think that'll give you a really great just starting place. Right. And we know that these use cases are spread all throughout the organization. It's not just the access center or the, the billing line. Uh, it could it could be in many different areas. I mean, you, you can even listen to, you know, frontline staff in your in your hospital, for example, to get some of that, that input too. Um, but what's interesting about your tool is, is right, it leverages sort of that voice telephony system and AI and, and, and machine learning to try to drive these alignments. But one of the things that you and I talked about, there was an additional added, I, I don't know if it's a bonus, but an added benefit to doing this because we're starting to also re- recognize that many of the people that are there on the front lines are themselves a little bit burnt out and maybe contributing to this issue. And particularly for health systems, right? Who are who are literally kind of on the front lines every day with, with this pandemic. Um, we're seeing this in, in a big way. So you know, because we study bi-directional conversations, right? With there's there's typically two parties in the conversation or the interaction that our company is analyzing. And so obviously, you know, one major use case is to listen to the customer side of the conversation and and understand that deeply. But the other opportunity 
that you're talking about is understanding the agent or the company representative side of the conversation. From there, we can assess, you know, how effectively are they representing the brand to your customer? Where are there opportunities for them to, you know, improve their training or understanding of how to navigate a problem? And we certainly are seeing um, signs of their own stress and, and distress, particularly now, because they are carrying the weight of being the first responders to to a patient population that is afraid or have has a lot of pent up you know, demand for service on things that um, you know maybe the health system can't can't handle right now, and they are both there to help that that customer get what they need, but also kind of toe the party line, right? Um, and it's just an incredibly stressful place to be. And we absolutely are hearing that, seeing that, and measuring that for our clients. You know, and that's really helpful, right, to understand that because we all know that ultimately it's an individual's experience with your organization that just drives their brand perception of you, drives their loyalty to you, drives all of those those positive indicators that we want of, you know, developing um, healthy organization, if I can use that term, right, in healthcare, being able to understand not only where the voice of the customer is saying, but then also the voice of that customer support agent, so to speak, really paints that picture, a much broader picture of, you know, where there are opportunities. Amy, this is such a great conversation. There's such such great things that we could go into, and I, I could speak to you all the time. But you know, I know some people listening in uh, may want to learn a little bit more about your yourself and your company and connect with you online. Can you share with them a couple of resources they could, could go to, and and maybe ways that they could connect with you? Absolutely. Uh, if you go to our website, it's uh, authentics.com. That's a u t h e n t i c x dot com you will uh, find all kinds of resources about our work and case studies and examples um, and an overview of, of our company and, and our mission uh, to help healthcare listen at scale. And then, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, just look me up, Amy Brown at Authentics. You'll, you'll find me there. We'll put all those links in the show notes. Before we wrap the conversation today, is there anything else in you know that we haven't covered today that might be important part of the the conversation that we're having? I just might add one note, and that is that you know what we're hearing from a lot of health system leaders right now, especially with their just overwhelming demand, you know, from uh, their communities for attention and service. You know, most contact centers, more most nurse lines are being just overrun with demand. <laughs> um, and so a lot of health system leaders right now are scrambling to deploy digital solutions like updating their IVR uh, tools, updating their chat um, chat and chat bot capabilities, which is all in, you know incredibly important work to trying to, to, to meet customers where they are. I would just say, that one of the most helpful places to start a digital transformation and and an investment in technology like that is to start by listening to the interactions that are in quote unquote old school call center because most people are 
who have tried um, to engage with your organization through your portal or online and who end up calling, they're actually telling you what's going right or wrong with your digital front door. And so just know that's another major use case of, of listening to voice is to figure out how, how do we actually prevent inbound calls uh, by making sure that we get our other tools right to begin with. So great. Such a great insight there, too. And that resonates with me um, being part of the digital transformation of my organization. It, it speaks to some of the things that I, I've been looking at. So thanks for that that insight. Amy, I really appreciate this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And we'll have to have you back on soon. Thanks for spending some time today and sharing your insights. Thank you. It was so much fun. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Special thanks to Amy for coming on the show. Uh, I come from a whole family of Browns. Uh, I don't think we're related, but uh, it's a good solid name. Mm-hmm. Um, excited to have her on and uh, thankful that she spent some time with us. And this is just, it's a really interesting topic. And I think it's something, again, I say this every week, I think, but this is another topic that I think we'll continue to revisit. So we're starting to just uh, you know hone in on a handful of things that continue to move so fast and become so important to our industry that we'll you know continue to keep those top of mind. All right, couple of couple of quick plugs. Touchpoint Health is the website. TPS report you can sign up for it there. Like I mentioned earlier, it's five articles to start your week. Comes out each Monday morning. Uh, also in there, there are a couple of quick links to like upcoming conferences and things like that. So kind of keep that stuff to, uh, front and center uh, just so you can uh, uh, looking for some professional development or uh, get out and actually see some people. Uh, you will know the dates and can sign up and all that kind of fun stuff. Let's do this. Let's do a couple of recommendations and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up the show. Reed, I'm going to recommend a documentary I just recently saw that I think you would get a kick out of watching. All right. Okay. So does Vernon, New Jersey mean anything to you? No, it does not. Well, for people living in the New York, New Jersey area during the 80s and 90s, they may remember an amusement park that is was located in Vernon, New Jersey called Action Park. This park gained the reputation as one of the most insane and possibly the most dangerous amusement park that ever existed. Run by a guy, he actually was, uh, you know, he, he left uh, financial investments and he decided he was going to, he first bought a ski resort in Vernon, New Jersey. And then during the summertime, he's like, I'm going to turn this into a water park. And so he created Action Park on the same, same grounds. Right? He started to put in some of the most insane, maybe many of us have seen on like a water slide, the water slide where it goes in a, a full circle, like, you know, a loop-de-loop kind of water slide where you go, oh, down, yeah. you go down, right? He decided he was going to create one. This was, was his first big thing. The problem was he didn't have any engineers, really, true engineers to kind of map this out. You know, they built this prototype and they started to just throw crash test dummies oh, down the slide. 
and figure out how they came out. By the time they got to a point where they were ready to do it on human testing, he would actually pay employees, teenagers at his water park, to test the rides before they were ready for prime time. So these 15-year-old kids would go down and try these water slides. And of course, every slide that they went down or every water activity that they went down was so dangerous. They would routinely get hurt. But it developed this reputation of like, we have to go. All the teenagers wanted to go to Action Park. He not only built a water park, then he built an alpine slide. And the alpine slide... People died on the Alpine slide because it was so dangerous. The movie is called, or the documentary is called Class Action Park because of all the class action lawsuits that was that was uh, imposed on him. Yeah. By the way, he also developed a, a fake insurance company to circumvent insurance regulations. But it really is told from the from the perspective of people that attended the park because it was sort of a rite of passage as a teenager in New Jersey and New York to go to Action Park. Check this out. It's on HBO Max. Um, it's streaming. It's really, really good. It's fascinating. And every step, every part of the story as it unfolds, you just like your mouth drops even further. You're like, how could this even have happened? Um, great, great movie. Class Action Park. Well, uh, I am also going to recommend something you can watch in smaller snippets over time. Uh, it's a YouTube channel. So uh, those that have listened for a while know that I I do woodworking or leather stuff or paint or, you know, different different hobbies and stuff like that. And so I follow several different woodworking uh, guys on YouTube and their channels and things like that. So there's one of them, and I don't think I've recommended this before, but I apologize if I have. Uh, Bourbon Moth Woodworking uh, is the name of the channel. Bourbon Moth Woodworking. Okay. It's a really cool, really neat guy that, you know, was building furniture until he got big enough on YouTube that now he just... It's just a YouTube creator, I guess, you know, so, uh, but he does some really neat projects. Most of it is obviously stuff for his house and, you know, that kind of stuff that he's using, uh, but everything from tools to tips to, you know, actual, uh, really interesting things that he's doing like built-ins and outdoor fire pits or, you know, whatever it may be. You know, I think he kind of got, oh, a boost, I guess. I mean, I think he had a decent following, you know, certainly, but he, he got, you know, how these algorithms work, but during... Uh, COVID, uh, you know, he lives kind of out in the country or whatever. He turned his uh, riding lawnmower, like one of those zero turn mowers, into an army tank that he just like rode around his yard and stuff like that. Mm. And so I think those videos uh, got him some viewership over the pandemic, as you might imagine. And so I could imagine, yeah. He he does some really cool, really high end stuff uh, that's really really neat. So if you're if you're a maker, if you like to create and build and that kind of stuff, it's a great great channel to to add and, and pick up a video every so often. So Bourbon Moth Woodworking. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really interesting. Well, um, another great episode here. Uh, not episode 222, but everything else is all twos today. So um, we appreciate everybody tuning in to 264. Hope you'll make it back for 265. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at Touchpoint.